it's so good to be with you um, and uh, to renew fellowship again. Thank you so much to Mark and uh, Chris and Kathy and the team here for uh, inviting me and also um, for you as a church supporting our work of being a voice for the voiceless. Now, I had been, I'm not sure, I was here two years ago um, and I had just been to the Elim Pentecostal Bible Conference in Northern Ireland and we were in a tent on my friend's land and the two speakers were R.T. Kendall and Jeff Lucas and um, what I had, because it, the, the tent was on my friend's land up at Hillsborough I'd been sitting at the front every night from Saturday night to Thursday night and on Thursday my friend Robert was late and he said I'm so sorry we're going to have to sit at the back right at the back of the desk and, oh, and um, I said don't worry Robert God's in it so when Jeff Lucas got up to speak he said look before I share the word of God with you I want you just to make sure you're all relaxed and ready to receive what God has to say to you so he said just turn to somebody shake their hand and just say hello to them. I know we've done it, but let's do it again. Just turn to somebody. Say, and that's, this is what we don't get carried away. This is church. You can't be happy in church. I've not, we have the reading of the second service. Yeah. Oh, no, we'll leave it now. Yes, so we did that. And right in front of me was a, a couple in their late 30s with a teenage daughter, and they were as brown as can be. I'd never seen them before. And so as we said hello, I said to the guy, where on earth did you get such a lovely town like that? And he said, I live in Cyprus. So I said, well, I lived in Cyprus. I was in the Air Force at a place called Famagusta, Nine Signals Regiment, and my brother-in-law. I said, my brother-in-law was a RAF policeman at Decalia. Now, I'd never seen this man before. And he asked me two questions. He said this, is your brother-in-law Fred Moore? And he is. Wow. And he said, I've been looking for him for eight years because I thought he was dead. Is he dead? I said, no. You can talk to him after the service. Now, was it an accident? No. It's the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord and the Holy Spirit is here with us and down through the years we in CSW have seen God move in incredible ways through his Holy Spirit and so I don't know about you but I, I always expect God's Holy Spirit to move when I'm on trains planes wherever it is I expect God to do something do you amen this is what the psalmist said you shall hear a word behind you when you turn to the right hand and to the left hand, saying, this is the way, walk you in it. And that's the fellowship God wants with us. So it's great to be here with you this morning. I was going to do a reading, but we've gone past that now. And so um, we'll do it in the second service. But we were looking at Jeremiah chapter 38, verses 6 to 13, and chapter 39, 15 to 18. It's the story of how Ebed-Melech the Cushite got Jeremiah the prophet out of prison. And there are four things I'd like just to say. This is the Bible teaching bit this morning for us. Four things about Ebed-Melech the Cushite. First of all, though he was not 
an Israelite, uh, he was in fact a eunuch, he had a faith and a trust in God, like you and I. God said in chapter 39, 15 to 18, because you've put your trust and faith in me, none of the things that are going to happen to the nation are going to happen to you. You'll see them, but they won't touch you. He was a covenant child of God like us. Secondly, he was informed. Now, he didn't have CNN or Sky TV or Google.com or AOL.com. No, he didn't. But he knew the man of God was in prison. There's no excuse for us today, is there? We have immediately, anything happens around the world we can know from uh, TV and the internet. Um, and so there's no excuse for us as Christians not to know what's going on. And thirdly, not only was he a covenant child of God, not only was he informed, but he did something. He acted. He went to the king who was sitting in the judgment gate, and you read the story, at Jeremiah 38, 6 to 13, 39, 15 to 18. He went to the king and he said, O king, the man of God's in prison. We've got to get him out. There are thousands of men and women and young people of God in prison as we sit here this morning. Today, amongst all the other days it is, and we heard Kathy lead that prayer, it's Refugee Sunday. It's Refugee Day. There are millions of refugees around the world. Amongst them, thousands of Christians. The man of God was in prison suffering. The people of God are still suffering and still imprisoned. And they need us at least to pray for them and to try and get them out of prison. And fourthly, when he went to the king, the king said, take 30 men with you. You can't do this on your own. And we can't do this work of being a voice for the voiceless. As it says in Proverbs um, chapter 31, verses 8 and 9, God called his people, you and I, to speak up for those that can't speak for themselves. And we can't do this on our own. We need you to help us to pray and to campaign with us. And so you're going to have something to do at the end of my message. So think about it. Man of God who had a faith and trust in God, who was informed, who acted. As James said, don't only be hearers of the word of God, but doers also. And he got the prophet out of prison, and he did it with the help of others. And so I want to take you on a journey. Christian Solidarity Worldwide, CSW. Caroline Cox, um, who I've done 60 missions with us, called us Crazy Solidarity Worldwide. And uh, we have been at times, and we care about the church that's suffering. And so God has called us to be advocates, to be a voice. And so we work in 26 countries of the world where Christians and others are suffering. And so I just want to take you to a few. So would you like to come with me? And let me bring you up to date. Okay, so let's go on, Polly. Polly's been brilliant this morning because the system went down. So come with me. What happened to that picture, Polly? Ah, how many Armenians are here this morning? As just one? Uh, my, ah, two. I put this picture in, because I'm an honorary Armenian as well. And I've been to the country 20 times, all through the war in the Caucasus, in Azerbaijan between 1988 and 1994, 
we went with aid, and so I thought for the Armenians, I'd just show you a wonderful church. That's the ancient church of um, Gaznazor, yeah, uh, Gaznazor in Nagorno-Karabakh. It's about 2,000 feet up, and all through the war, the Azeris tried to bomb it, to shoot it, to knock it out of its mountain perch. It was built in the 10th century, and it's still untouched today. It's a wonderful place where you can be still and know, as the psalmist said, that I am God, and we have thank God for the Armenians and their wonderful, devout history to God and to Christianity. So there we are. So let's go on. Come with me to the United Nations Human Rights Commission in December 2009. I've shared this picture with you before. CSW was invited to uh, brief and present um, a briefing on Eritrea. And so we're at the United Nations Human Rights Commission in Geneva. All the commission are there, all the embassies that belong to it were there, all the ambassadors. And they asked us, not Open Doors or Release or Barnabas, because we're experts in advocacy. That's our forte. We work with them, of course. We don't do aid. We don't even preach. We don't proselytize because it conflicts with advocacy. Of course, we're ready to give an answer to every man for the hope that lies within us. And so we're there on behalf of Eritrean Christians. Why? Because even as we're in this church this morning, there are still 3,000 Eritrean Christians currently in prison. Who cares about them? We do. And so we were asked to do this briefing, and on the left is an Eritrean Christian journalist who'd been in prison for his faith. In the middle, an Eritrean Orthodox Christian who works with us. And on the right, Tina Lambert, our then Director of Advocacy. And sometimes our work takes a long time to see a result. And so we gave a presentation then, and we asked you as Christians to pray. Come with me now to last year. And so in July last year, there was no human rights rapporteur for Eritrea. And the UN asked us to write a resolution, draft a resolution, to put to the commission to appoint a rapporteur for human rights in Eritrea. And so on the left is Matthew, a picture of Matthew Jones. He's our parliamentary and UN consultant. And there again, second on the left, the Eritrean human rights activist who helps us. And the third on the right, or second on the left, you'd never guess who helped us at the UN. The Somalian ambassador to the UN who's a Muslim. Do you know what he did? Because he cared so much about these people in prison, Eritrea. He galvanized all the embassies of Africa, all the countries in Africa, to endorse our resolution. And on the right is the external affairs manager for the UN. And do you know what? My dear friends, as we prayed, they passed the resolution. And now, last week, we were there again at the UN. They, they appointed a rapporteur for one year, and we were there all last week to see that um, resolution renewed for a year. That person is going to go into the prisons and to the country to look at how people are treated in prison in Eritrea, and not only Christians, but uh, political opponents of the regime 
journalists are locked up in the prison, some 20,000, but 3,000 Christians, and we need to pray for them. And that's the work we do and that advocacy that we do at high level. And when you pray with us, that's what you're praying into. And when we ask you to send emails, that's what you're doing. So let's go on. I want to show you this picture from China. This is a wonderful pastor from China called Alim. Let's say his name together, shall we? Alim. Come on. Alim. Alim is a Vega pastor. The Vegas are an ethnic Muslim nation and the rightful inhabitants of Xinjiang in northwest China. He worked for a British food company distributing fruit in um, Urumqi and around Urumqi, the capital of Xinjiang in northwest China. And he was also a Christian. And he was a wonderful evangelist. And he was planting churches all around, Rumchi and Kashgar. He was so effective that the mullahs went to the Han Chinese who now run Xinjiang. They took the country over because of the oil and the gas. And they said, we've got to stop this man. And so in 2007, he had phoned just once a Western um, envoy who was in the city. And on the basis of that telephone call, the Chinese accused him of leaking state secrets to the West. He was arrested, and in 2009, he was imprisoned for 15 years. The UN uh, Working Group on Arbitrary Detentions have reported into his case and have said the detention was illegal. They won't allow him visitors. They want to allow his lawyer to go and see him. And our friend, Bob Fu, from the China Aid Agency, if you want to know more about him, Google China Aid Agency and Bob Fu. He's one of our partners. He has taken Alim's case with 15 others to the White House and to the Congress and Senate two weeks ago. And he's one of the Chinese 16 Amongst those 16 are human rights lawyers who are Christians who are currently in prison or under house arrest in China. Who cares about Alim, his wife, and his two children? We should, because the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer, or do we? Would you pray for Alim Jang Yimiti? Brilliant. There's more information on the table outside. So let's go on. So come with me to Iran, a country, and we have Iranians in the congregation this morning, a country that's biblical. There are four books in the Bible that uh, are linked and related to Iran. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell, there were Elamites in the congregation. God said in Jeremiah chapter 49, the very last verses of 49, in the last days, I'm going to restore the fortunes of Elam. And Iranian Christians believe that in the last days, God is going to save the country. They believe it. But in the meanwhile, they're paying a high price for their Christianity. And since 2010, 
over 300 that we know about, pastors, evangelists, teachers, young couples, have been locked up in prisons. They've been detained, arrested, abused in the prisons. To get bail, they've had to pay twenty-five dollars to $30,000 a couple or hand the deeds of their homes over. And some have been forced to flee into neighboring countries. Who cares about them? So let me remind you of one of the cases. We'll go on, Polly. Thank you. This is Pastor Nadakani. You prayed for him. Thank you. Thank you for praying for this man of God who spent three years in prison. When he registered his church in 2009, 10, he asked the mullahs and the state authorities why it was that only mullahs could teach children. And they decided to have a look at him. And they found out that he was apostate, a convert from Islam, and they detained him and they sentenced him to death for his Christianity. There's no law, there's no legislation that condemns Christians to death in Iran, but some senior uh, imams and mullahs have said that apostates should be executed. And so he was imprisoned and sentenced to death. And in October 2011, when we heard that he'd been sentenced to death, we did something we've never done before. We started a Facebook campaign. So have a guess, Chris, have a guess how many Christians around the world logged on to the CSW website. It's not millions or hundreds of thousands, but it was thousands. Not a bad guess, 58,000. We were inundated on our website by Iranian Christians around the world, 58,000. Not only Iranian Christians, Rick Warren personally logged onto our website and said, we're gonna get our network of 450,000 Christians to pray. Hillsong, Marlene Zeitz, personally logged on and said, we're gonna commit 150,000 Hillsong uh, of their network to pray. Obama's staff logged on, William Hague's, staff logged on, and there was a huge campaign by Iranians around the world deluging their embassies in different countries to let the man of God go. And the result was the pressure and the prayer worked. The Bible says prayer changes things, amen? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And so we prayed. And the result was they postponed the execution because the pressure was too great. The president said, we'll give him time to recant on his Christianity and uh, we'll not do anything. But the campaign went on, the emails flooded in, and the result was when he was in uh, the court last October in Rasht, where he was based, they found him not guilty of apostasy. He'd spent three years in prison which was the prison term for evangelizing, they set him free. And so let's go on, Polly. Look, here's the answer to prayer. Here's the prison, last October, and we'll go on, and here he is, greeting his wife. Isn't that incredible? What a great answer to prayer. Thank you so much for praying for him. Then he was audacious enough to send us a message. He knew 
that we had got thousands of Christians to pray in the UK, and so thank you. He said, I want to come and say thank you to the Christians in the UK. Can I speak at your conference in the center in London in November? Do you think we could have got him a visa? Or do we? Do you think we did? Yeah, we did. Because you need to pray for Alistair Burt, the Judy Foreign Minister. He's a Christian. He's been on our council for 20 years. So we got a visa. And he came last November. And he spoke at our conference to say thank you. He went to see Nicky Gumbel the day after. And he spoke at HTB twice and St. Paul's Onslow Square twice. And then he went back to Iran. And then they imprisoned him again. They said, you haven't done enough time in prison and so he was in prison for another three weeks please pray for him we'll go on this is pastor Irani his colleague from the church in Iran he's not looking like that now he's been found guilty of being uh, an evangelist and a pastor he's being kept in a cell in a prison in Tehran 35 meters square with 40 other Muslims they're abusing him, they're beating him, the guards are beating him, and we've heard from the prison that he can't walk now at the moment and he's gone temporarily blind. Would you pray for the man of God? You know, God is doing incredible things amongst the Christians in Iran. Many, many Muslims are coming to faith through dreams and visions. They're going to churches asking for Bibles. They can't go into the church, it's not allowed. And if you ask Iranian Christian how many Christians there are in Iran, they'll say over a million. We can't say that. We don't know that. But we know that God is moving. One of Pastor Nadakani's colleagues and Irani's colleagues, who's a pastor of a big church in a city in Iran, I can't tell you the city, but last November this happened. This pastor had a young couple in his church, a young girl, was a new convert and her boyfriend was a new convert from Islam and the boy boy's Christianity was a bit unstable and he left the girl and the girl was heartbroken and she committed suicide now this happened the pastor went to see her family and as he was with her family God spoke to him and said go and pray for her you must go and pray for her in the hospital. She's in the hospital. Three times God spoke to him. He was so persuaded that God was with him and God was speaking to him. He went to the hospital. The doctors were around the bed. And they said, what have you come for? He said, I've come to pray for her. He said, well, that's no good. She's brain dead and her tummy or organs are ruined. But he prayed the prayer of faith. And she arose. Wow, she's alive today. Wow. Friends, what a great God we have. Isn't that incredible? Wow. Pray for Irani. He's in prison. How are we doing for time? Fine, okay, right. Let's go on then. This is Farshid. You probably prayed for Farshid. Um, we're campaigning for him. Farshid was the coordinator of fellowships in 48 cities in Iran. He's a brilliant Bible teacher, a brilliant evangelist. The Christians from the church in Iran love him. He's been in the Evan prison over two years. He sent a letter to Sam Yegnazar recently from Elam Ministries, who's his spiritual mentor. 
and his father. And he said, dear father. And the second paragraph said this. I have been in solitary confinement for 369 days, but I have forgiven them. Wow. Would you pray for Farshid? He's been abused. We don't know how badly, but we know he's been abused. He needs us to pray for He's our brother. This is family business, friends. And I'll tell you a story about Farshid. I went to Istanbul, where Elam have a Bible school, and they've got 20 fellowships in big cities in Turkey now as a result of this persecution in Iran. And I met Cyrus and Mariam and their daughter Gulnish. And I said to Cyrus, how did you become a Christian? How did you and Mariam, your wife, become a Christian? He said it's like this. He said, I, I, I was a whirling dervish of the old religion in Iran, and my wife, Mariam, was the intercessor for our mosque in Tehran. And we got married. And they had this daughter, Gulnish. And Gulnish was born with a congenital heart defect. And they were absolutely distraught, like we would be. They went to the cardiologist, and the cardiologist said, we can't do anything for her. She's going to die within a year. They went to the imams, the clerics, and they, they said, what can you do? What can Islam do? What can Muhammad do? We can't do anything. Follow the advice of the doctors. Mariam's sister lived outside the central Pentecostal church in Tehran, a church that the Egnazar family had built. And she said to Mariam, you've tried everything. Why didn't you take him to this church? Let the pastors pray for him. They said, no way. Cyrus said, I said, I'm not going into a church. No way. But the wife was persuasive. And they went into the church, to the main service. There were 800 believers in the church. State security were in the church. They sat at the front with Farshid. Farshid sat next to them. And the evangelist looked down to them and said, do you believe that Jesus Christ can heal your child? Three times he asked Cyrus. And Cyrus said, yes, through gritted teeth. And the church stood to a person. They raised out their hands. And they prayed for Gulnish. And Farshid said to Cyrus, God's healed your child. I felt God touch your child. And so Farshid said to Cyrus, you'll have to go and get a scan. He said, no way, it's going to cost me $50. I can't do that. But he went, and Gunnish was healed. And they straightway fell on their knees and confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. They're now pastoring in Turkey. Isn't that incredible? The church in Iran is alive and vibrant. And now there's a new president, we don't know. We just got to pray for the country. But they're coming in their hundreds to faith. And they've already distributed one million New Testaments in Iran. And their vision now is to do another million. And the churches, the members of the churches are fearless in their witnessing. Please pray for them. Now, how are we doing? I've got to check. Where is it? I've told you where this church, so we're going to a different country. Where is this church? I've told you once. 
Yes, how do you know? It is Welsh, but it doesn't speak Welsh. <laughs> it's in Wales. Now, let me ask you a question, Pastor Chris. This is for Pastor Mark and his wife, and for you. Can a church change the destiny of a nation? Can one church change a nation? Come on, then. Yes. So in, eight, in the 1850s, the Reverend Lloyd Thomas went to this church in Wales as the minister. And he had two young sons. The youngest was Robert Germain Thomas, and God had given this young man the gift for languages. And in that church, he walked down the aisle one night and committed his life to the Lord Jesus. Do you know the Lord Jesus as your savior? Do you walk and talk with him? Do you know that you're gonna to go to heaven? It's important, friends. That young Welshman walked down the aisle, committed his life to Jesus Christ. His father ordained him in that church. And then he heard the call of God in the church. Can you imagine? Is God calling you? What's God calling you to? There's plenty of work for every one of us to do, even if you're my age. It's true, friends, I am 70 in July. But I'm as busy as ever. Do I look 70? Thank you. <laughs> I'll come again. So this man of God heard the call of God to be a missionary in China. And he went to China, Beijing, and I had to be quick. And he met Koreans. And God touched his heart for Korea. And he went down to uh, Pyongyang, which was then, of course, it was one country, and he took New Testaments, and they refused them. And he thought, he went back to Beijing, thought that God had uh, rejected his mission, but then he met more Koreans. He was so moved, he sailed on the SS General Sherman in 1866 into Pyongyang. They had taken North Koreans on board to guide them up the reaches of the river. The people on the shore thought they were being held hostage, and they attacked the boat, and the boat sank, in Pyongyang Harbor. And as that young Welshman carried these New Testaments ashore, all the other men on the boat carried knives and guns to fight the Koreans. As he was martyred on the beaches of Pyongyang, he pushed a Chinese New Testament to the hands of the executioner. That's how the word of God reached Korea, not in the south, but in the north, from Wales, from that church. And so we believe we in the UK have a, a responsibility to pray for that country and to bring freedom to that country. And so it's one of the most oppressed and repressed countries in the world. We'll go on quickly, Polly. That's a picture of Yodok Prison uh, taken from satellite. There are 45,000 good North Korean people in that prison. In prison camp 22 near Pyongyang, there are 50,000 inmates. 75% of all the quarter of a million North Koreans in prison are there because of guilt by association. Not they've done anything wrong. Their brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, cousins have said something wrong against the state or Kim Jong-il or Kim Jong-un, the new president. And amongst them are thousands of Christians. Let's go on, uh, Polly. That's the Tumen River. That it's a picture of Tumen taken from China, and across the river is the North Korean city of Tumen. The lights are on all the time, but nobody lives in that city. It's a show city. And it's across that river that thousands of North Koreans come every year to go into China to try and get down to Southeast Asia to their freedoms. Many are caught. Just recently, 
nine were caught in Laos, and the Laotian authorities handed them over to the Chinese to repatriate them back over that bridge in Tumen. Who cares? The word of God is banned, the word for God is banned. Christians, when they're found, are put into prisons, their mothers, their fathers, and their children. Who cares? We'll go on. That, this is the advocacy we do at high level. That's me sitting next to Bill Rammel, the junior Labour foreign minister, giving evidence at the Foreign Office on North Korea. We'll go on. This is Shin Don Hyuk. Can we say his name together? Shin Don Hyuk with the Speaker of the House of Commons, John Burke. We've had him to the UK three times. That young man was born in prison camp 15, Kai Chong prison. He doesn't know why he was there, and I shared his story before. But he came back last November, and I took him to Robin Mark's church in Belfast, where my friend Andrew McCourt is the pastor, CFC Belfast. There's 1,500 people in that church, and he told them his story. He said, I was born in that prison. I don't know why I was in that prison. But he said, I said, well, who, how were your parents married? He said, well, one day in the prison, they, every so often they line the men up on one side, the women on the other. They call this man out who's been working very hard, this lady who's been working very hard, and they say to them, today you're going to get married. And they're allowed two weeks together. And out of a wedding like that, and a marriage like that, he and his brother came. When he was three, uh, six years old, he had a friend who was a little girl, same age. They were often not given any food, and they were taught in the prison school two things. Never to try and escape from the prison, because you'd be shot, and never steal anything. And he, the little girl had picked up five grains of maize because she was hungry, put them in her pockets. They worked in the prison um, uh, coal mines, the prison factories, and the pig farms. And every day they were body searched, and they found these grains of maize on this little girl, and they beat her and beat her. And he and a friend had to carry a little girl back to their accommodation in the morning, they were told. She had died in the night. Wow. This happens all the time in the presence of North Korea. That wasn't the worst thing that happened to him. When he was about 15, his mother and brother tried to escape from the prison. They were caught. And he and his father had to watch his mother and brother be executed. And all the prisoners we've talked to have been made to watch public executions. And we have a report on our website called North Korea, a case to answer and a call to act. It's just been published last year into the Korean language by the Presbyterian Church in South Korea. You can download it and read it. Please pray for North Korea. How he got out in 2005, he was able, with the help of somebody who'd worked outside uh, who told him there was a free world outside, that um, people are free, they can move, they can think, and so on. He said, let's go. And so in January 2005, they crossed the barbed wire, crossed the electrical fence, and the man that was leading him was executed. He climbed over his body, he crossed the river, Tumen River, got to Shanghai with the help of, uh, of Chinese Christians, and then into the South Korean embassy, and to freedom. He's now written a book, called Escape from Prison Camp 14, and it's on sale in Waterstones, you can read it. Serialized last year in The Sun, The Guardian, and on Radio 4. But there are a quarter of a million, like him, amongst the many, many Christians 
would you pray with us and help us bring freedom to North Korea? So this is what you can do. We'll go on, Polly. Article 18 of the UN Convention says this, that everyone has the right uh, to freedom of religion and to change their religion from one to the other. So as I finish, can you, on my table at the back, there's this card. We want to put thousands of these cards into Baroness Varsi at the Foreign Office to pressurize them to do more internationally for freedom of religion for everyone, which will help Christians in the countries we care about and where we work. So we want you to sign the card. And if you want to give us your information so we can send you updates, you can do that. So before you leave the church today, would you go to the table and sign that card? And so I'm going to finish now. I'm going back to Eritrea. I'm going, we're going to hopefully see and hear about one pastor who we campaigned for for eight years, Pastor Hagias Tetsfatsian. It's just a three-minute video. Hear his story. I used to be the senior leader of an evangelical church in Eritrea's capital, Asmara. My church was growing fast and lots of young people were coming. We had about 20,000 youth within three years. I made some statements against the military conscription policy of our government. You can't really say anything critical of the government in Eritrea. So that made me quite unpopular with them. They came to arrest me. For the first time I wasn't there. But then I was arrested on my way to a coastal city in May 2004. The surreal thing was they escorted me like a government official. Twelve armed men were in front of me and twelve behind me in a pickup truck. They put me in prison without charge or trial. We used to eat black tea and bread for breakfast. Lunch was a spoonful of lentils in water shared between eight prisoners. Saturdays were really special because spinach was blended into the usual lentil mix. On Sundays we were given the hard, inedible meat from animal intestines. As disgusting as that sounds, we chose to eat it simply for the protein. Obviously, they tortured me. That's fairly standard in Eritrean prisons. They regularly beat my bladder, my kidneys and my chest. It's a tactic they use to cause the most internal damage. A kind of invisible torture, really. Extremely painful. 
arrived and another priest who was in prison with me managed to escape. But when the details of it got out onto the internet, the guards punished me because they thought somehow I'd leaked it. It didn't matter to them that I hadn't. So they confiscated all my medication for two years. They took my clothes, they restricted what I could eat, I was totally isolated from everybody. Up until then, I had been smuggling letters out of the prison to encourage churches. I was still concerned for them. Prison couldn't really take that out of me. But someone inside told the guards about my letters. So they beat me severely and put me in solitary confinement for three months. In chains. The pain got so bad in my kidneys, <clears throat> one of them had to be removed. The prison doctor thought I had about three days left to live. So they released me to the home of my friend. <clears throat> on a stretcher bed with a canister of oxygen. They expected me to die. But I thought it was a miracle to be on the outside of the prison. For years they had threatened to kill me, but finally I was on the outside. I thank God that my wife had meanwhile managed to escape the country with our daughters. And I have been reunited with my family. But in prison, I felt the prayers. I couldn't even tell you my story until now because I wasn't completely safe from the Eritrean authorities. With the help of some good friends and of CSW I was able to get out. I used to be the senior leader of an evangelical church in Eritrea's capital, Asmara. Actually, it wasn't me, it was this man. His name is Pastor Tesfasayan Hargos. There are over 2,000... That's just one pastor story from Eritrea. 3,000 others in the prisons. Would you pray for them? Would you help us? Now, I know God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit, and maybe God has spoken to you this morning. Maybe God is calling you to pray campaign or to help us in some way or maybe God is calling you so as we close now be open to what God is saying don't be afraid to come forward if you want ministry Amen